Thank you. Good morning, Bethesda. What a joy to be back in the house, and uh, this is one of my favorite churches in the whole world. I don't say that in every church I'm in, believe me. This one, it, I, 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 I tell everybody that when I come to Bethesda, I'm just excited to be here to experience the worship. What I'm, you know, you're, you guys are spoiled, you know that? You're spoiled with your worship, and that was a treat this morning. Um, we have a long history with this church that goes way, way back, and um, it uh, precedes me. It precedes Kim. Uh, my father-in-law, Elmer Bueno, used to preach here. Uh, my dad used to preach here before I was even conceived in my mom or dad's uh, mind. We, they, he, when he was a young evangelist, uh, he used to come and preach here at this church at Bethesda, uh, before it was called Bethesda, I think, but um, just an incredible long history that we have. Uh, with the church and so many friends that are here. I could go probably take all morning and just point out people that are uh, friends of One Hope and friends of, we've gone through a name change, Dan, it's One Hope. That shows how long we've been uh, together that uh, you refer to us as Book of Hope. Um, and you know, when I, was, when I was thinking about coming to Bethesda, um, I was, you, you always wonder because um, I know the history of this church and of course, Pastor Dez is one of my favorites in the whole wide world. He's come and done leadership retreats for us at One Hope, and um, just been an incredible blessing to me, poured into my life. And when you have an iconic figure like that who uh, has been at a church for so long, you wonder. You really do. I'm being honest this morning. You know, is Bethesda going to be the same? What's, you know, what's happened to the church? And, uh, and to, to walk in this place and to know that Bethesda is still Bethesda, a place of healing by the, by, the, by the feel you have in this house, by the Holy Spirit indwelling in this place, as you said, Pastor Dan, is so strong in this house. And I think one of the reasons is that, you know, a son of the house, Pastor Dan's been raised up, and uh, it just looks incredible. And I was, I was hoping that everything here would be the same, and I was really glad, most of all, to see that Pastor Dan did not change his hair when he became a senior pastor. That, is one of, that was one of my biggest worries. I thought, I'm going to walk in, and he's going to have the comb overdone like a senior pastor. And I was just so happy to see that he still doesn't comb his hair. That is awesome. <laughs> We're going to go down memory lane a little bit today. Uh, this is your Missions Emphasis Sunday. So throughout the year, um, you invest in uh, ministries like ours, families like ours, families like the ones that are here this morning like my in-laws that you supported for years and continue to support. I can't tell you how much it means to Kim and I, that although Elmer went to heaven, that you continue to support my, my mother-in-law. This place has stood with us. And this list of missionaries that you support and the many others that are represented by your gifts throughout the year, uh, we come on a Sunday like this to tell a story of God's faithfulness in our lives because of the investment that you've made in us. So we, we count that as an incredible privilege and honor this morning just to share the one hope story with you. And so as I was praying about this morning, I thought, let's just go down memory lane a little bit and talk about those milestones along the way where you have been with us throughout our journey, throughout this time, not only in your giving, but in your prayer, in your support, in the calls you've made to us when we face challenges or we've faced incredible opportunities. Bethesda has stood with us throughout our missionary journey. And so when we tell our story this morning, it is your story. I sort of see these missions emphasis Sundays as kind of like a shareholders meeting where we we all come together and we rejoice over the victories. We also look at the need and we look at the fields that are ripe unto harvest this morning. And together as shareholders in the kingdom plan that God has given us, we say, Lord, what do you want us to do? 
What do you want us to do over this next year? What is it you're calling us to as your church? What is it you're calling us to as all the different ministries that Bethesda supports around the world? So because of that, I'm thrilled to be able to share just a small part of the Bethesda story, which is the One Hope story with you this morning. And it's impossible on a Sunday like this, obviously, to share with you uh, everything that's happened over the last seven years. Uh, to talk about where we're at right now even would take literally hours of our time to share all the opportunities that we have as One Hope around the world. So please take advantage of the different booths that are there after the service. Make your way there. Learn more about the ministries that you support as a church and find out more about what's going on. One exciting thing that's happening uh, with One Hope that I do want to share with you. Um, how many of you know what version is? How many of you have version on your mobile phone or on your iPad? A lot of hands going up around the place. Happy to report that um, version is the largest uh, scripture delivery platform in the world. They just celebrated 100 million people that downloaded that application on their iPhone, on their Android, on their smartphone, 100 million people around the world. They just celebrated that. And what I'm announcing this morning, first time I've done it, is that um, on the day after Thanksgiving, on Black Friday, we will launch a partnership between One Hope and Version to launch Version for Kids, which will be the largest scripture delivery of God's word to children on a mobile platform around the world. Can you say praise the Lord? So kids will be able to interact with scripture on their mobile phone. Uh, they believe because of the 100 million people that Version has that when we push that app, um, after Thanksgiving, that it could be the single largest one-day download of any app in history. And we're believing that up to 3 million children and families will download Version for Kids on that first day. So believe that with us, pray with us. So a lot of exciting things like that going on. And uh, make sure that you pick up our prayer card so you can continue to pray for Kim and I. And also go to our website and find out all the exciting things that's happening with One Hope around the world. Um, because there's so much going on. Turn with me, if you would, to the last chapter in the Bible. I'll make it real easy for you this morning. The last chapter in the Bible, everybody can find it. Revelation 22. Revelation 22. And we're going to begin in verse 12. Revelation 22, 12. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning... I pray, Father, that you will touch us by your spirit. I pray, Jesus, as we go on a journey, not only through your word, but through what you're doing in the nations this morning, that you will touch people's hearts. I pray, Lord, that you will lift us up out of our culture, out of our context for just a moment this morning, for us to have a heavenly perspective, Jesus, on what you see this morning, what you feel this morning, what you hear this morning, Father, coming out of the nations, Jesus. Lord, these are critical moments and critical, critical times. And Lord, we as your church don't just need another routine or ritual mission service this morning. Lord, above all else, we want to hear your voice in this house this morning. So you come and you speak by your power, Jesus. And we'll be sure and careful to give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Amen. <laughs> and my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to the work that he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. 
Blessed are they that wash their robes. That's those of us that stay holy, that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may go through the gates into the city. Now, I want us to see what Jesus is showing us here. He's showing us a walled, a gated city, and inside the gates of that city are all of those of us who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. If you've accepted Jesus this morning, you're not waiting for some future dispensation to enter the kingdom of God. If you've accepted Jesus, you are in the kingdom of God this morning. But then it says on the outside, I want you to see that with me this morning. On the outside of this great city, on the outside of the kingdom of God are the dogs and those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I want you to see that with me this morning. On the outside of the gates of the kingdom this morning are all of those people who either have rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior, but also on the outside of the kingdom are all of those who have never once had a chance to taste of what we just tasted of in the presence of the Lord, in the worship of the Lord. They do not have the peace, the joy, the satisfaction. They do not have the right to eternal life that we have this morning. If we believe this word this morning, they are on the outside of the kingdom and they are lost this morning with no hope this morning because there is no hope without Jesus. There is no justice without Jesus. There is no satisfaction or peace or joy without Jesus and they are on the outside of the kingdom this morning and they are lost. But I love what it says in the next verse. But I, Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride. Who's the bride this morning? The church. We are. What do we say? We say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And whoever is thirsty and whoever is on the outside of the kingdom, they are thirsty this morning. Let them come. And whoever wishes. Let them take the free gift of the water of life. As Pastor Dan said, I grown up as a missionary's kid, and as you heard, Kim as as well, and I grew up in, 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 in the Middle East, and Kim grew up in Central and South America, and then uh, after we've gotten married, we jumped right into missions, and over these last uh, nearly 30 years, Kim and I have had the opportunity to minister in about 150 different nations around the world. And in those countries that we have visited and the backgrounds that we come from, Kim and I find that everywhere we go that people are exactly the same. Now at first it doesn't seem that way. You go into a new country, into a new culture, and, and sometimes just about everything seems different. I mean, you go in, they're wearing different clothes, they have different customs, there's the language barrier to deal with, there's, a, there's the food factor to deal with. I remember I was in Madagascar, which is called the land that time forgot, an island off the coast of Africa, and I was conducting a One Hope campaign, and, and after the meeting, one of the pastors, the National Brothers, came to me. He said, Brother Hoskins, he said, would you come to my house for dinner tonight? I said, yes, I'd love to, and so I made my way over to his house, and his wife had prepared this big meal, and I sat down, and I began to eat what was on my plate, and as I was eating this one particular dish, I was thinking in the back of my mind, this is the worst chicken I have ever had in my life. It was tough, it was, it was hard, it was, it was kind of sinewy. I mean, every bite I took, I felt like I was biting through nerves to try and get it down. So I started analyzing a little bit closer what was on my plate. 
And as I did, there were certain limbs there that I didn't recognize. These were not parts I had ever seen on a chicken before. So I said, Pastor, I said, is this a chicken or is this rabbit that we're eating tonight? He said, oh, no, my brother. He said, you be eating baked cat. And I thought, I'd be losing it all over your dining room table right now. I mean, it was bad. Well, it wasn't that bad. It just tasted sort of frisky. You know, I mean, the, <laughs> I mean, the fur balls sort of get caught, you know, when you're. My wife is so utterly disgusted with me right now. She loves cats. And I tell her, honey, I love cats too, but only when they're really, really well done. <laughs> oh, man. All the cat lovers are giving me dirty looks right now. And the others are like, yeah. <laughs> you can separate a church real fast over cat lovers and not. Some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there, Stephen, right? I mean, you go in, everything seems different. Your stomach's turning around, your head's spinning around. You're wondering if you're going to survive sometime. But after you've been there a little while, and after you begin to meet people, and after you begin to minister to them at an altar like this, you realize they're exactly as we are this morning. The same needs, the same hopes, the same desires for their lives, for the lives of their children that you and I have this morning. And Kim and I find that it's especially true about children and about young people. Everywhere we go in the world, they are exactly the same. And as our world grows smaller and smaller, which it's doing every day because of transportation, education, communication, technology, our world is growing smaller. And as it does, there is a youth culture that is exploding around the world where young people everywhere are becoming more and more alike. I don't care where you go, you can, I, I can be in the bush of Africa, I can be in a jungle in Central America, I can be clear on the other side of the world in Siberia. These kids, they're, they're wearing the same clothes, they're listening to the same music, they're watching the same movies, they have the same heroes. And the youth culture that they most emulate, that they're hoping to become most like in this globalized world is, guess which youth culture? Ours, right, America's. Ours is held up as, as the role model, as the example for the rest of the young people of our world this morning. Does that scare you a little bit? I hope it does. For us to realize that the children and youth of this world in, in many ways are following our young people down a road of, of moral destruction and lostness, the likes of which is unprecedented. I mean, this generation has been brought up to believe that they have to go out there and, and experience life. That's hedonism. They have to go out and try and find that one thing that is going to satisfy their, quote, individual needs. That's humanism. And we brought up a generation that has experienced and experimenting more than any generation to come before them. And yet in many ways they are the most unsatisfied generation in the history of humanity. Because no matter what it is they fill their lives with, no matter what it is they experience, no matter what it is they experiment with, it's like a vacuum inside of them. It sucks everything up, but it still leaves them empty. Because there is only one single solitary thing in this world that satisfies, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. This gospel is the only thing that satisfies that hunger and that thirst that exists in every single human life. And that's why as a ministry we were so excited when my father was in a time of prayer, and he was praying Revelation chapter 22. And in that moment of prayer, God opened the heavens to him and he had a vision. It was so real, it was so stark, it was so startling. He saw what we just read. The Lord told him to look up 
And he looked up and he looked over the walls of the kingdom and he saw lost humanity in front of him. He saw billions of people on the outside of the kingdom, lost, hopeless. And they said he saw something he had never seen before that the Lord enlightened to him. He saw children and he saw young people. And he saw that the enemy, that Satan and his satanic forces were targeting the children with their weapons of warfare. That they were targeting with things that he had never seen before, but he saw in the spirit what these things were. Things that we know today as, as AIDS and other sexually promiscuous diseases. He saw things like alcoholism and drugs, and they were sweeping over literally hundreds and thousands of children around the world. And he saw that the enemy, although he does not know the hour of Christ's return, as it says here, he knows that his time is short, that Jesus is coming soon. And that the only way the enemy can prolong his rule and reign on earth is to target the next generation. And so he is using every single one of his powers to try and target the next generation. And when my dad saw this, he began to pray. We began to intercede as a family. We said, Lord, what are you, we seeing and, and what should we do about it? The Lord said, the only thing that will overcome these lies is truth. And my word is truth. I want you to take my word and I want you to give it to every child in the world. When the Lord spoke that vision into our hearts, we were, we were overwhelmed with that vision. We began to call our friends. We, we called Pastor Des and we called others and we said, this is what the Lord has spoken into our hearts. We're to take God's word and we're supposed to give it to every child and young person in the world. Would you believe us for that? And then the Lord began to reveal to us. He said, Lord, how could we ever do that? And, and others began to pray with us. This church began to pray with us. And the Lord revealed to us that you'll take my word to the children of the world and you'll do it through leaders. So we began to pray about leaders and what that meant. And, and God had showed us at the time most of our work was going on in Latin America. And we had just published the, the NIV in Spanish for the first time. And so we decided to present that new Bible with leather, embossed the names of the top 50 leaders of every Latin American leader, the top 50 leaders in every country, and to send it to those 50 leaders and present that new Bible to them. And so we began to, we began to do that. Bethesda helped us send those leaders' Bibles down to those 50 top leaders in every Latin American country. And amazingly, as we began to present those Bibles to presidents, vice presidents, heads of education, leading military people, leading business people, we put a letter inside, we said, this Bible comes to you from friends in America. We're concerned about you. We're concerned about your nation. We believe this is the word of God. We believe it's the only hope for your country, and we commend it to you. And incredibly, those world leaders began to respond to us. We began to get letters from them. And one day in the office, we got a letter from the minister of education from the country of El Salvador. He wrote, he said, thank you for sending me this Bible. I'd begun to read it. He said, I now believe that it is the word of God. He said, I am responsible for the children of my nation. He said, we're in the midst of a horrible civil war. It's the children that are suffering. He said, would it be possible for you to provide a Bible for every child in the public schools of our country? I don't know about you, we got kind of excited about that. I mean, here we live in the States. Our kids can hardly take a Bible to their school anymore. Here was a minister of education asking if we would come and give the word to every child in all the schools. Any of you that know my dad know that he's a very excitable guy. I mean, he took that letter, and he literally was running around the office, jumping up and down, because God was beginning to fulfill that vision he'd put in his heart. And he turned to his secretary and said, send that man a, a, a fax. Tell him we'll send a Bible to every child in El Salvador. And he continued to run around and jump around and, and thank God. And several moments later, the secretary came back in. She said, Brother Bob, how many kids are there in El Salvador? He said, I have no idea. She said, well, I think you better find out. We just promised them all a Bible. We found out there were 986,000 kids in that country. Whoa, yeah, except we weren't laughing. 
Because we didn't have the half a million dollars we needed to send them all a Bible. <laughs> but how many of you know when God puts a vision in your heart and he sets before you an open door, he will always make a way for his people, won't he? He will always make a way for his people. And we said, Lord, as, as, as you help us, we want to send these kids. So we sent the word out. We sent the word out to Bethesda. And you, as, as, as our faithful partners, gave us that seed money with those original Bibles. And we said, we want to send these kids something. When they see it, they'll want it. By the time they're done reading it, they'll know, you know, who Jesus is, why he came. You know, you send a big black leather Bible to a kid. I mean, that's pretty confusing. I mean, for adults and theologians. What is it for, what is it a little kid? He needs to know Jesus loves him, that he has a plan for his life. Where is that found? It's found in the Gospels. So we took the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We harmonized them, put them in chronological order, took out the chapter and verse so that it read straight through like a story. The most exciting story there's ever been. What's more exciting than the story of Jesus? You know, we've heard it so much, we've kind of grown callous to it. But for someone who's never heard it before, I mean, a loving father who sent his own son, that you could have hope and life, that's the spring of living water. We put it all together, we called it in Spanish, El Libro de Vida, what has become the book of hope. And it's an incredible story, how God began to touch people's hearts, where you responded, and you sent your offerings, and other churches that did, and we printed our first one million copies of the book of hope. Now, I can't even tell you what one million, it would more than fill this whole house. It was nine 40-foot sea containers, 256 tons of God's word. How do you know there's a little bit of power in 256 tons? You know there is. And we sent it down to Guatemala, and, and we had nine tractor trailers waiting. They went overland into El Salvador. Missionary John Bueno, Kim's uncle, was waiting. They had mobilized the church in El Salvador. And in a matter of six weeks, in the middle of the Civil War, they spread out across the entire, they went everywhere. They went up every hill. They went down every river. They went into the inner city. They went into the jungle. And as they began to give out God's word, an amazing thing began to happen. The principals and teachers began to ask them, is this all you're going to do is just give the book to the kids? Can't you tell them what's inside the book? And our brothers and sisters, without us planning it, without us strategizing it, they began not only to hand out God's word, but to stand up, proclaim the name of the Lord, give their testimonies, give altar calls to an entire generation of young people in the nation of El Salvador. Praise the Lord. You know, I mean, God gives us vision. Does God give you vision? God gives us vision. And we just see such a small part of what he's going to do. I mean, his ways are so much bigger. His ways are, his plans are so much more powerful than anything that you and I can even imagine or dream of this morning. And as God's word began to go out, an amazing thing began to happen. Those children began to take the book home. Parents began to read it to their little children. Grandparents began, the whole nation was infected with the word of God. Everywhere you went, there was El Libro de Vida. Everywhere you went, there was the word. And there was such a response to the gospel that it started a children and youth movement in the nation of El Salvador in those churches that connected the church to the schools that continues today. And they say, if the present ratio of conversions continues, by the year 2020, 75% of El Salvador will be born again evangelical believers. I'm talking about the power of God's word. 2,000 years ago, he gave us the command, you go. You preach, you proclaim, you publish this word in all the world. And yet today we live in a world where nearly a third of the people on our, on our planet still have no idea who Jesus is. They're still lost on the outside of the gates of the kingdom, over two billion that wait. I remember as a boy, my dad praying a prayer. He'd always pray during our times of intercession, oh God, open the door. Here we were in the center of the Middle East, reaching out to the Muslim world, God, open the door. After we saw what happened in El Salvador, we said, Lord, if you could do this here, why not in Guatemala? Why not in Argentina? Why not in Colombia? 
If in Spanish, why not in French? Why not in Portuguese? Why not in Tamil? Why not in Hindi? Why not in Arabic? Lord, why couldn't we take your word in the most simple form possible and give it to every single person in the world, every single child? And that vision began to be birthed in our hearts, and suddenly God began to open doors, doors we never dreamed would open. I mean, President Pinochet in Chile heard about what happened in El Salvador. He contacted us. We went down. We met with him. President Danny Ortega in Nicaragua found out. He You say, you know, Ortega in Nicaragua, isn't he a communist? You know? And, 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 and Pinochet in Chile, isn't he a fascist dictator? I mean, would you go meet with, with, with communists and, 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 and fascists? Hey, we'll meet with, with communists, we'll meet with fascists. We'd even go meet with the members of the Supreme Court of the United States if we thought it would help get Bibles into our schools here in America, right? Woo yeah. And suddenly these doors began to open. As only God could open them, he began to open doors. We found with 20 languages, we could reach over 60, over 90% over, over of the school children of the world with 20 major languages. You see, within our lifetime, there's been a reversal of the Tower of Babel. More and more people are speaking fewer and fewer languages. Now, we could take all day and talk about why that's happened. Economically, sociologically, politically, it's happening for one reason. It's happening because King Jesus is working everything in this world system. So the message of his gospel can be proclaimed to an entire world within our lifetime and within our generation. And we said, Lord, as you help us, we're going to take your word. We're going to put it in, these, in, in the most simple form possible. And wherever you open the door. And you know, Pastor Dan, we thought, you know, we're really good missiologists. So we made a list of those 20 languages and those 10. We prioritized that list. You know, how many of you know we make our list and God makes his list? <laughs> and our list doesn't look like his. I mean, you know, we had, we had put all the easy languages up at the top of the list. These are the countries where we believe we'll be able to go and distribute in the schools. And, and all the impossible languages, they were down there at the bottom of the list. You know, the Muslim countries, the Buddhist the, the, the oh, they were down, all down there at the bottom. You know, I want to tell you something this morning. There is nowhere on this planet that is close to the sovereign move of God's Holy Spirit. He will go where he will, when he will. What does it say? Not even the gates of hell shall prevail against him. And suddenly God began to open, he began to open doors in places we never could have dreamed. I remember being invited to the, what was then the Soviet Union, a meeting with, with the Minister of Education. And I was sitting there and I was sharing with him about the, the Book of Hope and what it was doing for kids in other countries. And, and, uh, and he stopped me. He said, excuse me, do you know where you are? He said, this is the Soviet Union. He said, for 70 years... We have taught our children and young people to believe in something that no longer exists. He said, we have the highest alcoholism rate in the world. The average Russian marriage will last three and a half years. The average Russian woman will have two abortions in her lifetime. He said, that is the moral condition of our country today. But he said, in the next several years, something new is coming to our country, and it is called choice. And he said, with choice will come everything from the West, all of your movies, all of your music, all of your drugs. And he said, over the next several years, we are looking at the greatest moral catastrophe the world has ever seen. And the words of that man are becoming prophecy in the nation of Russia today. He said, if what you're telling me is true, if this book can bring some hope and some answers to our children, to our young people, we welcome it into our nation. And my dad and I walked out of his office with a letter of permission to give the book of hope to every single school child in the former Soviet Union. 62 million kids. Does God know how to open doors? He can open any door. There is nowhere that is closed to his sovereign power this morning. I don't care if you're Ayatollah Khamenei or, 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 or you know, Kim Il-sung in, in North Korea. Can you imagine them saying, no, I'm sorry, Holy Spirit, you can't come. 
long ago, any dictator, despot, or, 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 that has tried to stop the move of God's Holy Spirit is long dead and gone, but God's word is still alive today, still reaching those with his power because it is the seed of God that is incorruptible. And after we saw what happened in Russia, we realized the problem with our world being reached in our generation is not closed doors. Friends, there are more open doors before us today than we can even go through. God's out in front of his church. This is the 11th hour church. He's out in front saying, come on church, now is the time, now is the hour. But God is a wonderful economist. He doesn't waste his power. So he waits for us to go through those opportunities that he gives us as the church. Our problem is not open doors. You say, Rob, on this Missions Emphasis Sunday, what is the problem? Why are there still so many on the outside of the gates of the kingdom? Some might say, well, those that are on the outside, maybe they're lost because that's their desire. That even if we had the opportunity to reach them, that they would reject him anyway, and that's why they're there. That's why they're lost this morning. I'll never forget one of the first schools I went to in Russia, like, like the communists always do. They like to show you their best face first, so they've taken us to one of their elite schools where they had their leading teachers from around the country and their best students, and members of the press were there to show this new glasnost, perestroika, the new openness. And we were there in the schools, and we were handing out the books, and the principal was with me. And we came to one class, and she said, Mr. Hoskins, in this class, I not only would like for you to give the book to the children, but she said, I would like for you to tell them the story of Jesus that's inside the book. And she said, you have five minutes. I looked at those kids. They'd been taught their entire life Jesus doesn't exist. God is a lie. Christianity is a myth. This book is a fairy tale. And I thought, Lord Jesus, how in five minutes can I tell them your story? Aren't you glad it's not our job this morning? That you and I have no power to convince or convert or convict anybody, but it's the sovereign work of his Holy Spirit. And he can do more friends in five minutes than you and I can do in a lifetime. He can do more in five minutes than it took communist atheism 70 years to build. I stood up in front of those kids and I just began to tell the story of Jesus in the most simple way I could. And their teacher was translating for me. She was a consummal leader, which means she'd been sent there to indoctrinate these kids in atheism. And at first she was translating so boldly what I was saying, but after several moments her, her translating kept getting slower and slower. And so I, I, I turned to see what was wrong, thinking she's angry. She's having to interpret these things she doesn't believe. And when I turned and I looked at that 32-year-old Russian teacher, tears were flowing down her cheeks as she heard the story of Jesus for the first time in her life. She took her hand and she put it on my arm. She said, sir, she said, I'm sorry. She said, I can't continue. She said, I need to know now when school is over, what church do I go to? What man do I speak with so that I can accept this Jesus in my life? I said, ma'am, you don't need to go to a church. I said, you don't need to speak to a man. I said, if you want to, right here, right now, you can accept Jesus in your life. And a smile broke across that young Russian teacher's face and she began to speak to her kids in Russian. They were talking back to her and she turned to me. She said, the children want to know, can they accept Jesus or are they too young? I said, no, if they want to accept Jesus, have them stand to their feet. And 32 out of 32 12-year-olds stood to their feet in the center of Moscow and bowed their hearts and gave themselves to their Savior, Jesus. <laughs> Praise your name, Jesus. Why? Why would they do that? Why? because they're hungry on the outside of the gates of the city. Because they perish. What does it say? Not for a lack of thirst, not for a lack of hunger. They perish for a lack of knowledge. 
They're lost because they've never once been given a chance to know who Jesus is. They're lost this morning. Not because they have no desire, but they have no opportunity. The problem with our world being reached is not open doors. The problem with our world being reached is not hunger this morning. Some might say, well, Brother Rob, that's, uh, that's probably why we're here this morning. It's probably why Bethesda has a missions emphasis. So that we can raise awareness so that people can continue to give. It must be since the doors are open and the people are hungry and we have tools and resources and, and wonderful people that it must be an economic problem. The church must be at some financial crossroads that we can't get through. If only we had enough resource, then this job would be done. We were in Brazil and we were meeting with President Colar de Mello. We were asking permission to distribute the Book of Hope in Portuguese in the slum suburbs of Sao Paulo. And as we were sharing the vision with the president, one of the, one of the men interrupted. He said, I'm sorry, he said, I'm not from Sao Paulo. He said, I am the senator from Rio de Janeiro. And he said, I must insist if you bring this book to, to Sao Paulo, you must also bring it to Rio. And another man stood up. He said, I'm not uh, from Rio or Sao Paulo. He said, I'm the governor from Belo Horizonte. He said, if you, if you bring this book to those cities, you must bring it to our region for all of the children in all of our schools. And the president said, well, you know, they're right. We have, we have freedom and we have equal access in this country. So he said, if you bring the Book of Hope to Brazil, you must bring it for all of our children in all of our schools. And my dad said, well, how many kids do you have in your schools? He learned to ask that since El Salvador. <laughs> the president said, we have 32 million in our schools. My dad and I flew back to Florida where our offices are. My dad literally went into his office, closed the door, and laid prostrate on the floor before the Lord. He began to cry out to the Lord. He said, Lord, he said, you know, he said, this is impossible. He said, Lord, when it was a, when it was a few thousand copies here and a few thousand copies there, he said, we, we, we could handle it. And he said, as soon as he said, we can handle it, the Spirit of the Lord fell on him. He said, who do you think you are? He said, you couldn't handle it when it was a couple thousand copies. This is my vision. This is my burden. This is my work. I'm the Lord of the harvest. And he said, Bob Hoskins, I demand one thing of you. And friends of Bethesda, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. He said, I demand a pure heart and a pure motive. He said, if you can keep your life pure, I'll keep using you. Have we seen the devastation of impure motives in this country? Killing us as the church, as the bride. And I remember from that day, Dan, we started praying a different prayer. I used to go to a country, meet with a minister of education. We need 1.2 million books. And we'd come back, oh, God, you know, we need $300,000. Like God didn't know. Now, every time an opportunity comes, every time a door opens, we do the same thing. We come before the Lord. We say, Lord Jesus, I am nothing and I have nothing. But, Lord, with you, all things are possible. 
Lord, keep my heart pure and keep my mind pure and keep my hands pure and keep my marriage pure. Keep my girls clean and pure and protected from this world and all of its evil, Jesus. Keep this ministry above reproach. Keep our finances in order, Jesus. Lord, we want to be vessels of honor that can be used by you. And friends, I can tell you from this pulpit that ever since we began to pray that prayer, we have never lacked for anything at one time. Every time we've needed to print, the finances have been here. When I was looking at version this last year, and I was looking at what we call Incredible Islands, which will be the first ever virtual world immersed for children in a virtual world online, those projects were $6.2 million. As I looked at the budget, I said, Lord, I don't know where this is going to come from. The Lord said, you never knew where it was going to come from. Lord, keep us pure. Kim and I sat in a meeting and with, with friends we hardly knew, began to share the vision. And right in that meeting, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me last March and said, ask him for everything. I said, Lord, I can't do that. I hardly know these people. The Lord said, are you going to listen to me? I said, this is what we need. And then pushed back from his table. He goes, you know, I think we can do that. It's all his, friends. He owns it all. The problem with our world being reached this morning is not money. There is more money in the pews of this nation alone. We could reach this world 10, 20, 30 times over. God has given us more resources than any church in the history of humanity. Our problem is not money this morning. Our problem is not open doors this morning. Our problem is not hunger this morning. Our problem is the same as it's been for 2,000 years. Our problem is obedience. It's about a group of people like us on a morning like this coming before the Lord and saying, Lord Jesus, whatever you want. It's like that song we were singing, Lord, I, I really do. I surrender all. I surrender my ambition. I surrender my dreams. I surrender my finances. I surrender my family. Lord, it's all yours this morning. And the Lord begins to move in ways we could never dream or imagine in our life. I really learned obedience in the city of St. Petersburg in Russia, we were there doing a distribution and we were in the schools. I had a group of people with you. I think, in fact, some people from Bethesda were with me on that trip. And as we were in the schools handing out God's word and then there was a holiday the next day and so the schools were closed. And so I went to George, the Russian pastor we were working with. I said, George, what are we going to do today? He said, I've organized for you to go to the children's hospitals. So we began to visit the children's hospitals and what we saw there, it would disgust you this morning. Some of these poor hospitals, they didn't even have using dirty bandages, using syringes 20 and 25 times a piece. As we were ministering to those kids and praying with them and giving them God's word and praying for healing in their bodies, God just began to break us. And we got back on the bus and we headed back to our hotel. No one was saying anything. I could just hear people weeping on the bus. And George, this Russian pastor, turned to me. He said, Rob, he said, can we go to one more hospital? I said, George, it's late. I said, the team's tired. I said, we've got one more day in the schools, and then we need to go home. He'd always been very, very mild, but he took me by the arm. He became assistant. He says, please, one more, one more hospital. I said, well, if you think it's that important, we will. We turned the bus around. We headed the other direction. He said, the place where we're going is the largest mental institution in Russia. And he said, it's a, they have a ward for children. And he said, I believe this is where... That, that spirit of atheism still 
still controls. And these doctors believe through their wisdom that they could somehow alter the minds of these kids and make them better. He said, we don't even have permission to go into this place. We pulled the bus up outside, and he went in to speak to the director, and we began to intercede on the bus. And he came back out several moments later. He said, I've spoken to the director. He's going to allow us to come in only because the mayor has invited us to the city. But he said, we have to leave as quickly as possible. All we can do is give them the books. We're not allowed to say anything to the children. I said, that would be fine. We got out of the bus, and I walked up the stairs, of that, and I opened the door of that institution. The moment I did, I felt a spiritual oppression and a darkness come over me like I've never experienced in my life. And I grew up in the Muslim world. I know what darkness is. But this was something so evil. And then we began to hear the noises. And then we began to go to the rooms and see that it was these kids. Many of them were crying out. Many of them were restrained so they couldn't hurt themselves. We couldn't even tell them Jesus loved them. But we began to take God's word. We began to set it on those nightstand tables. But in our spirit, we began to do war for that place. We began to come against the 60 years of oppression that had existed there. And we began to pull down those strongholds in the name of Jesus. And as we did, God began to break our hearts for those kids. And, and many of us were just broken. And I was, I was weeping as I was walking towards the last room of that hospital. And I looked up and my eyes met the eyes of, of the director, this communist psychiatrist. He had this troubled look on his face. And he stopped me. He said, excuse me, sir. He said, the place where you're going is where our most serious cases are. He said, these children have been here for a long time. And he said, to tell you the truth, I've been able to do nothing with them. He said, I can't help but notice how much you people seem to love our children. He said, I hear there are some spiritual people with you. He said, would it be possible for them to pray with the children that are in this room? I said, sir, that's why we came here today. I walked in that room and I saw the 30 most spiritually depraved children I've ever met in my life. Their bodies were twisting and writhing around. They were crying out. They were, they were possessed and they were oppressed. I asked the people that were with me, the team, I said, I said, let's form a circle around them. And we began to lay hands on them. And in the name of Jesus, in his name, we began to come against all of the oppression, all the depression, all the demonic strongholds and bondages that had existed in those kids' lives for so many years. And after about 15 minutes of deep, deep intercession, something just rose up inside of me. And I, I cried out. I said, Lord, bring your peace. Jesus, just bring your peace to this place. And it wasn't but several moments later, it was like a wind that came over our backs as we felt God's presence and his peace begin to fall on us in that room. And if you don't believe in spiritual warfare, let me vouch for you this morning, it is the realest thing there is in this world. And as his presence began to fill that place, everything began to change in the room. I noticed the boy that I had been praying with, he began to grow still. I noticed the noise level in the room began to come down. And so I opened up my eyes to see that out of these mentally deranged and mentally retarded kids that tears were flowing down their cheeks as they felt the presence of their Heavenly Father for the first time in their lives. I looked across the room and I saw George, this Russian pastor. He was huddled over in the corner. He was praying over a boy. I found out later was 13. And this pastor, his body was just, it was like he was writhing. He was shaking. He was like, almost like he was uncontrollably. He was just weeping uncontrollably. And in my humanity, in my, in my carnality, I thought, he looks strange. He looks bizarre. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Rob, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about every one of my children who's never heard my name, who doesn't know who I am. And I moved over to that pastor, and I laid my hands on his back, and I began to intercede with him for that boy. For a long time, he stood there agonizing and weeping and praying. 
And finally, he, he stopped and he looked up and he noticed I was there with him. And he said, Rob, he said, you don't even know why I brought you here today. But he said, this boy is my son. And he said, for the first time in my life, I've been able to pray with my boy. And the Spirit of the Lord fell on me. And the Lord said, Rob, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and know their Father in heaven. And friends, there is a world that is waiting for you and I to be salt and to be light this morning. To a world that has lost all of its savor. To a world that is in such utter darkness this morning. And he calls us to go to the, the gates of the city and lift up our voice and say, come. Stephen, he calls you to do it. In Central America, my mother-in-law in Nicaragua, you in Bulgaria, others of you in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your workplace. Come, all you that are thirsty. We have something to give you. When you eat it, you will never be hungry again. When you drink of this living water, it will finally quench that deep thirst that you have. And Jesus waits. He waits for you. He waits for me. And Jesus waits at the, at the gates of the city with his arms open wide saying, come, all you that are thirsty, come this morning. Jesus, we come before you as Bethesda this morning, a place of healing water. And Lord, throughout the decades, this church has been free to allow this stream of living water to flow from this place into the nations, Lord. And Father, I pray that that, that dream, Father, of, of flooding the lands, of flooding the nations with your water, your living water, would not stop, Lord. But I pray that more than ever before, a river, Lord, would, would flow from this place to the nations, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, send your living water from this place to every corner of our parched and thirsty world. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the investment that my dear friends here at Bethesda have made through the years. Many of them I've never met, Lord, but every time they've given, Lord, a portion of their, of their funds have gone, Lord, to, to supply all of our needs and the needs of so many others, Lord, that are out in the harvest field, that are out beyond the gates, the safety of the, of the, of the walls, Lord, that we live in, and we're, we're reaching out to those who've never heard before, Jesus. And Lord, I know that we live in the hour where you are coming soon. And Lord, we don't have to be the generation, we don't have to wait for a future generation to believe, Lord, that your great commission can be fulfilled, but it can happen in our lifetime, it can happen in our generation, Jesus. So let faith arise now in our hearts, Lord. For us as your people to come with pure hearts and pure motives this morning. And in the purity of this moment, as pastor comes, Lord, I pray that we would say, Lord, what do you want me to do this morning? And I believe right now, as, as, as you pray that prayer around this place, Lord, what is it you're asking me to do this morning? I believe God's going to begin to speak to you. It's not going to come through coercion. It's not going to come through pressure. It's going to come through the Spirit of the Lord touching you as you say, Lord, what's my part? What do you want me to do? And as God speaks to your heart, step forward in obedience. And he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever dream or imagine in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, this morning.